Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we have learned, it is not by the wisdom of man, but by your spirit alone and by your power, magnified in the weakness of frail human flesh, that your word can be proclaimed. And so we pray this afternoon, despite the weakness of your servant, Lord, look down on the need of every individual heart that is gathered here this afternoon, that has come to the fount of living waters. Speak to them, meet their needs, refresh them, help them to go forth with a fire kindled in their heart and ready to, to live for you. We pray for your name to be glorified, your power to be demonstrated. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. passage the Lord has laid on my heart can be found in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now let's begin, back up and begin reading from chapter 3. Verse, uh, let's, let's begin from verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. 
For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I think I've shared with a few people already that last night I was privileged to to hear the testimony of a soul who was baptized this morning, Tyler Pamer from Avon, Avon Road. And he, didn't, he waited some time before he finally entered into that rest. It took him some 29 years, even though when he was raised as a young boy it was always his purpose his goal to become a christian to be like the stories his dad read him from the bible yet he was 29 years old before that he finally found that rest for his soul and he testified that it was a pretty dry place he, he avoided that commitment, knowing that it was an exclusive commitment, thinking that he was going to miss out on the things of this world. But in reality, he was the one missing out. And his close friends who, who did give their lives to the Lord, enjoyed the blessings from the Lord, and enjoyed marriage and children and lies that were growing and and yet looking on the outside in he he was surrounded by the glitter of this world but the chaos as well and saw the difference and realized that it was empty it was not rest in the passage we've read together uh, the apostle is is reaching out to the people who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And he's constantly referencing these scriptures to help them understand the new covenant, what Jesus is offering them, and how the Old Testament was kind of pointing to that the whole time. I just went through, a, 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 someone was imagining the story of the, the road to Emmaus and how it says these two were sad. They had just heard the woman from the grave saying he's ridden, the grave's empty, and they were still sad, and they were confused. Their, their hopes had been murdered on the cross just a few days before, and we had hoped that he would be the one, and yet Jesus, his identity hidden from them, it begins at the beginning of the Old Testament, and from the story of Genesis and Noah and, and Abraham and David on down, he opened up how all the scriptures were speaking of him. And so that's the objective Hebrews here. And he starts off in Kadesh Barnea. That's on the southern part of Israel. The Israelites had gotten there 
fairly quickly. We all think, you know, well, it took 40 years, but if you look at it, it's not that long a distance. They were there at the promised land, and they had to make a decision. The spies had gone in. They saw the land was all the benefits that God had given of fruitfulness. I mean, it was so fruitful that it took two men to carry one bunch of grapes. The grapes were so big and heavy. But there were some things in there they were not prepared for. There were some challenges, some giants. And they saw that they, or they felt they were unequal to the task. And so they had a decision to make. Joshua and Caleb say, God's with us. It's no problem. You know, God's taken us, we just studied last week, you know, through the Red Sea, the ten plagues fed us every day in the wilderness for bread falling from the sky. He can certainly take care of these giants. But the people chose. They had a day. They had a moment. They had a decision to make. Do I trust the promises of God and go forward even though there are giants? Or do I trust my own senses, my own evaluation of what I'm capable of, what I can handle, and what I can't handle, and play it safe and don't go? And they chose. And you all know the story. They chose to trust their eyes and their human reasoning as opposed to having the eyes of faith and the pro- trusting the promises of God. And so God was said that none of them were going to enter into his rest. That was the provocation. Uh, and he's re- constantly referring back to uh, David in Psalm 95 where he's talking about that experience and how... He's warning the people of today, which includes us today. You know, don't harden yourself when God calls, like they did at Kadesh Barnea, when they hardened their hearts. They knew what God was asking them. They knew God could do it, and they chose to pretend that they didn't know. That's really the condemnation. That's really that everyone in their heart of hearts knows the call of God, knows what God is, is asking them to do, and we pretend, don't we? We suppress the truth, as, as Romans 1 says. And that provoked God. As Romans 1 says, the wrath of God hangs overhead. Even here, God is being provoked because they are choosing to harden their hearts because they don't really believe that what God has said, he will deliver. And now we are being warned, beginning of chapter 4, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering to his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So first of all, I want to address those who have heard that call and have not yet responded. 
Well, we can learn from the example of Kadesh Barnea that there is a day, as he says here, there is a delimited, he limited a certain day in verse 7, saying in the Psalms, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The warning is, you're not guaranteed another day. What happened to the people in Kadesh Barnea? God said, that's it. You had your opportunity. You said no to the promises of God. And you will get what you chose. Your logical consequence is you get what you asked for. You didn't want to go in the promised land. You're not going into the promised land. And your little ones that you were worried about, that if we go in, what's going to happen to my family? Well, they're the ones who are going to go in. But you are all going to have your carcasses rot in the desert for 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb, because they believe they will go in. And that's why it's saying at the end of the verse, the distinction between those who made it into the promised land, who entered into God's rest, and those who didn't, was belief. And so the warning here is there's a time when you hear God's call and it's serious business because you are not guaranteed multiple opportunities. There is a day if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because if you harden your heart, you may not hear it again. You may come into these doors. You can go to camp. You may go where there are eloquent preachers. You may be and hear the word of God, but your heart may be so hard because you have chosen to harden it. You've said, not now. You've said, not today. I will not enter in. I have something better. And God says, okay. And you get what you asked for. The people immediately regretted it. They said, oh, 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 we made a mistake. We'll go now. Let's go up the hill. Let's go face those giants. And Moses says, no, God's not with you. And there was a slaughter. Even though they changed their minds, they didn't do it at the time they were given. That is a warning. Secondly, I want to address those who have heard that call. Those who have felt the tug of the of of, of the Spirit of God on their hearts, who want to enter into that rest, who see the standards that God has placed of holiness, and they are striving to enter in. They are wrestling. They have set before them the goal, saying, that's it, starting this day. We heard uh, again from the testimony last night that the young man came home from camp, 19 years old, was convicted, that's it, I'm going to do it now. I'm starting, as soon as I get home, I'm going to take all my CDs, all my music I know is bad, I'm going to throw it out, I'm going to, I know the things I'm doing wrong, I'm going to stop doing those, I'm going to do the right things. And so began the wrestle of trying to be righteous on his own power. 
It's kind of like those Israelites charging in to face those giants without God. See, you're right about the fact that you can't do it. And so it seems so frustrating. These promises are painted for us in the scriptures, put out in sermons and songs that point out of this wonderful piece we just sang about at the last song. And yet the reality of the struggle of wanting to do good and not being able to do it, of not wanting to do evil and ending up doing it is such a real thing that, that people give up. It doesn't feel restful. And there are some believers who've experienced that rest, who've experienced that peace that we sang about, the joy, how the whole world changed, and yet find themselves sliding in to a time of struggle in their soul. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. The context is God himself rested on the seventh day and rested from all his labor after creating the world in six days. And so the apostle is taking the example of entering the promised land, the rest, and God's rest, and he's bringing it together here, and he's saying, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. What does this rest look like? For he that is entered into his rest... He also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. There are many who have struggled on their own labor to meet the demands of a holy God. They see the gap. And the closer they come to the Lord, the more they read into his word, the more sensitive they are to the spirit, the more stark the contrast is. The more they allow the word of God to penetrate into their own souls and expose the very intense as the next word, uh, verse we did not read, that the word of God cuts through and exposes our very thoughts and intents. The more they allow the word of God to expose what is on the inside, the more contrast they feel between their own experience and the person they see in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't feel like rest. It's not the promise of God. 
It's not God's will for me or for you. I don't think we understand him well. He's asking one thing. He's asking for you to believe his promises. He's asking you for to take him at his word. And as Abraham staggered not in unbelief, not looking at his hundred-year-old body, but believed the promise that there will be a child He's asking you, you don't see a way. There may be a Red Sea behind you. There may be desert all around you. There may be giants in front of you and walled cities. God's asking you to believe him and to really believe the promises of Jesus Christ, where Jesus has told you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Where he says that if you stop striving, if you rest from your labors, because the word of God says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me, and I will give you rest for your souls, for I am meek and lowly of heart. If we truly believe, then when the problem comes, whose problem is it? That's the test of whether you believe or not. Whose problem is it that you're facing? Do you own the problem? Is it your job to topple the giant, to knock down the walled cities? Is that your job? Are you big enough to part the Red Sea, to cause bread to rain down from heaven and feed a million people in the desert? No, you're not. And God knows that. He didn't ask you to do that. He asked you to walk in the desert and trust him to let the bread rain down. He asked you to walk up that hill and let him drive out the, 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 the giants. Maybe you do have to swing a sword, but God is going to be the one who's going to determine the outcome of every one of those battles. And he can make the sun stand still and the moon stand still. He can bring hailstones down. He can bring hornets and drive out whole cities without you even seeing the people that are being driven out. But you do have to believe. And you have to believe that it's God's responsibility to solve this problem. It's your responsibility to obey. Because that's the contradiction here. He says, he that has entered into his rest hath ceased from his own works as God did from his on the seventh day. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall under the same example of unbelief. Cease from your own works. Let us labor, therefore. How do we understand that? 
when we trust God. When I trust God, and God has challenged me this past week with the truth of these words. When when a servant is sent to the store to go buy something, does he care if it's 50 cents for a piece of gum or it's, you know, $50,000 for a car? It's not his money. When we are sent to do God's work, we are faithful, it's God's responsibility to supply. It's not our worry where the resources will come from. Whether we have the strength, the intelligence, the wisdom, the control to, to handle all the possibilities that we can think of and we can lie awake thinking of scenarios. When is it possible for my head to be rich and my hand to be poor? When I really believe that I am in the Lord Jesus Christ and he is in me, who is the one who is living his life through me? The one who has the riches of heaven. So if I'm but the hand, the bank cashier can't say, oh, it was only the hand that signed the check, not the head, so this check is worthless. No, I am one with Christ. He honors his, his promises. And he says, if you ask anything according to the will of God, I will do it. We have that assurance. As we sang to the blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Or maybe more properly, I am the Lord Jesus's. He is truly Lord of my life. And therefore, it's not about me getting God's resources to pursue my agenda. It's about me pursuing God's agenda with God's resources and experiencing God's blessing and the rest of soul. The rest of soul. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. You won't have rest in that you'll stop doing anything. It's not like we will sit and twiddle our thumbs as we serve the Lord here below. That's why we are going to labor in obedience, in doing what he asks and actually taking our Isaac up the mountain or leaving Ur of the Chaldees and going wherever he tells us to go, not knowing where it is or whether we are going to face Goliath with a little tiny uh, sling or whether we go into a foreign land as a young teenager and face the fiery furnace and even the lion's den. It's not up to us to close the mouth of the lions. It's not us to us to quench the fire that we are in. It's not up to us to guide the path of that stone to the forehead of Goliath. But it is up to us to not only obey, but to believe. And when we believe, then we can rejoice, 
then we can be thankful. Then even in the midst of trials, we can rejoice and praise the Lord as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Because they were not alone. There was a fourth in the fire with them. And they didn't even smell of the smoke. It only burned away the ropes that bound them. We are not promised tremendous victory through every trial. But we are promised his presence. Do I believe it? We are promised his resources. Do I believe it? It will show in my attitude. And God has been testing me this past week. Do I rejoice when someone comes up to me and disrespects me and tramples on the good things that I'm offering them? Do am I still rejoicing in the Lord Jesus? Is that more important? I think of the picture of two young people in love. And they see the house burning down. They may have to elope and leave their family behind. And they say, that's okay. As long as we have each other. That's all I need to be happy and satisfied. They can let all their possessions, all their relationships go in their past. Because they have the thing that fills their soul and thrills their soul. And is that what it is with Jesus with me? Does Jesus thrill my soul? Does it fill my soul? Do I not need anything else? Because if I do then this world cannot harm me. There is no room in my heart for them, for Satan to get a hold of me. Then my emotions and my fears and my worries have nowhere to plant their seeds. Then my soul has rest. My body may not have rest. I may be busier than ever. But my soul has rest. That's the vision that the Word of God gives us. That we are so in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so enraptured with who He is and what He's done for us that as we look into the glory of His face, the world will grow strangely dim as the song says. And so, the question for me is, do I believe? The song we sang. This treasure I have in a temple of clay while here on his footstool I roam, he's coming to take me some glorious day over there to my heavenly home. All the world seemed to sing of a Savior and King when peace sweetly came to my heart. Troubles all fled away and my night turned to day. Blessed Jesus, how glorious thou art. Constantly abiding, Jesus is mine. Constantly abiding, rapture divine, he never leaves me lonely, whispers, oh, so kind. I will never leave thee. Jesus is mine. Two closing thoughts. I've recently uh, reread the book about missionary Hudson Taylor. 
I remember being challenged as a young person with the courage and faith he had to leave the comforts of England and go into China and um, leave the relative civilization of the port cities and go into the interior, leave the comfort of having a missionary organization back him and just depend on God alone to supply his financial needs. And uh, it was really incredible what God did through him. But as you read through the book, he gets to a, a point of crisis. Here is a man who has, you know, walked by faith since he was a young teenager to a teenager and, and has faithfully served so often, but he has a struggle of soul. He feels a sense of failure as he sees in his own heart uh, where he falls short of the stature of Jesus Christ until he comes to understand this simple truth. And it changed everything for him. From that point on, he lived a joyful life despite losing children and wife and, and you know, rebellion breaking out in China and, and, and many dozens of workers being killed and shortage of funds and weight of administration for hundreds of people who are out there uh, on the mission field. There was a joy in his heart. He realized it wasn't about failure. You see, that's what stops me from going to face those mountains, uh, those giants. I'm, I'm worried about failing. And I think fear of failure stops a lot of people, stresses a lot of people, puts a lot of weight on our shoulders. We're going to fail as a, as a mother, fail as a father. We're going to fail as a... As a as an employee, as, as, as a student, as, am I going to be a failure? But the weight of that all goes away. When we enter into the rest, not of striving to get the sap out of the vine into my puny branch so that I can bear fruit, but of resting and believing and allowing that to flow unhindered. And leaving the results to God, not feeling it's up to me to make it happen, just to, to obey. And I become like a child. The child doesn't worry who's going to pay for the food on the table. They're not worried about whether you're going to have work tomorrow. They're not worried about, uh, you know, am I going to have a roof over the bed? Who's going to pay the mortgage? They're not worried about these things. And neither should we. We should rest as a little child in the goodness of our God, in the sufficiency of our God. Final point. I recently heard a message by Brother George Freund. Some of you younger people will not remember who he was. Back in our day, he was the most uh, eloquent, fiery preacher. And he, this was a message from in his hometown he had given where he had uh, felt inspired to not just open the scriptures, but to read on Hebrews chapter 3 on this very verse about today, while well, it's called today, don't harden your heart. And he shared an experience that that week he had gone to the hospital 
There was an elderly gentleman there in his 70s. He uh, had cancer in all likelihood. He was not going to leave that hospital alive. He had a believing wife, believing children, but he himself had never really given his heart to the Lord. And he lay in the bed, emaciated, yellow. Brother George asked him, would you consider giving your heart to the Lord now? And his sad reply was, no, not yet. And so I plead with you, my dear friend, don't harden your heart. You may be saying, no, not yet, until it's too late. With that, we conclude this afternoon's service.